Hi friends, Pastor Dave here, and it's great to be with you today as we continue our series through the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians that we're calling Undivided. Today we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. So if you have a Bible, grab it, turn there with me, if you will. Today, Paul, the author of this letter, is going to talk to us about something I believe is critically important for us to remember as followers of Jesus in our world today. Paul is going to talk to us today about the church. And in a sense, he's going back to the basics. He's getting into fundamentals. He's sort of like a coach who has watched his team struggling and has now decided we need an entire practice of just going back to basics. This message from Paul is sort of like a practice where we just dribble and pass and shoot free throws. If, if you're a basketball player, that makes sense. And so that's Paul today. He's, he's talking about the church and what he's telling the Corinthian church and what I think he's saying to you and me as well is the reason there's division among you, the reason you're struggling with disunity in your midst is because, is because you have forgotten who you are. The reason you're sort of dividing up into these subversive subgroups is because you've forgotten what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor John Johnson talked about verses one through nine. It was a great message. And the image was one of a field. Paul says in those verses, the church is like a field. You are God's field, he says in verse nine. But then right at the end, he says, God's building. You are God's field, comma, God's building. And what he's doing here is he's shifting images. He's now going to shift from the image of a field to the image of a building. And he wants to teach us some new things about the church. And he's going to use this picture of what the church is to give us some instruction, to remind us of some basics. Today's message is the church, a building under construction. And we're going to look at four main things today. Today, Paul's going to walk us through a number of things. We're going to look at four things. First of all, the foundation we build on. Second, the materials we build with. Third, the inspection of the building. And then finally, why this building matters. The foundation we build on, the materials we build with, the inspection of the building, and why this building matters. And so this is a general contractor's type message. If you are a handy person, if you hang out with Pastor Ted in the, his ministry and you like to, to fix things around the house, then, then this message is going to be right up your alley. I, on the other hand, am a bit over my skis because as I've told you before, I am anything but handy. In fact, the other night, Amy and I were out with some friends to dinner and the husband at one point in the conversation started to say how he had spent the day doing work around the house and, and fixing some things in the yard. And instantly I gave him the, the secret symbol across the table of let's, let's shut that down. I don't need you reminding my wife of all the things I didn't do today around the house. Let's not go there. But Paul today decides to go there. It's where he's headed. Today, he's going to say that the church is like a building that's under construction. And so let's dive in. Chapter 3, verse 10, 1 Corinthians. Here we go. By the grace God has given me, this is Paul talking, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul starts off our construction conversation today the way every single construction conversation should start, and that's with this, the foundation. The foundation. He's talking about the essential need for a solid foundation. Just this past week, I dialed up a documentary on Netflix. Those of you who know me know I love documentaries and Netflix is full of them. I watched one this week called Dream Big. Maybe you've seen it. Dream Big. Dream Big is a show about engineering and construction and and some things that are happening around the globe engineering-wise. Really interesting. I highly recommend the document the, docu- the documentary, but um in a particular moment of this of this show, they're talking about engineers designing and building a skyscraper in San Francisco. And and of course the unique challenge there is San Francisco is prone to earthquakes. And even furthermore, there's even more of a challenge because the soil in and around San Francisco is prone to liquefaction, which means this, during an earthquake, the soil turns to liquid. So how do you build a skyscraper on a foundation that will turn to liquid? And they talked about how the engineers determined that the only way to pull this off was to dig so deep down into the ground where they could, they could rest giant, enormous concrete pillars on firm bedrock way, way, way beneath the surface. See, friends, these engineers understood the power and importance of a strong foundation, and so does Paul. He says, when I came to you, I laid the foundation of the church for you, and it is on Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, Paul is abbreviating here. He, he's not laying every single piece of foundational information he gave to the church out. He's saying the foundation is on Jesus Christ. And what he means is this. He's saying, I'm specifically talking about my teaching and the other apostles' teaching about Jesus Christ. What we taught you about Jesus Christ, what we taught you about who he is and what he's done and what it means to be saved and redeemed by him, that teaching, that's the foundation I laid for you as the church in Corinth. Paul's essentially talking here about the message of the gospel, of what it means to be God's people. And he says the foundational truth is found in my teachings. For us, that means that these truths are found in the scriptures, the scriptures that we study, the scriptures that we look to and lean on, that is the foundation of the church. He says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And Paul chooses his language very, very carefully here because the word on the street in Corinth was that Paul was not wise. He was, he was simple. He wasn't sophisticated. Sophisticated. He wasn't eloquent. Um, he was foolish. He wasn't wise in any way. And yet Paul says this. He says, true wisdom, real wisdom is found when you build your life on the simple, powerful message of the gospel. When the truth of the scriptures undergirds everything that you think and everything that you are, that's when you will live wisely. He says, I came to you as a wise builder, as one who lays a foundation that you can trust. Friends, as I read Paul's words here, I can't help but think of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven. 
This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you know about the Sermon on the Mount, it's three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew where, where Jesus just preaches. And he preaches about the kingdom of God. It's this, it's this gospel-fueled, spirit-empowered message about what it looks like to live for God in this world. And at the end of that teaching, at the end of Jesus just dropping some serious knowledge and wisdom on people, here's what he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. What what Jesus is saying in this passage is the same thing that Paul is essentially saying to us today. He's saying, if you are truly wise, you will build your house, you will build your life, you will build your thinking and actions and feelings on the only foundation that will last the test of time. And that's the teaching we have from God in the scriptures about Jesus Christ. Friends, the word of God must be the foundation for every church and every follower of Jesus in the world. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, 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 Pastor Dave, we've got it. Cedar Mill Bible Church, we get it. We like the Bible. We're for the Bible. You know, can we move on? But I want you to remember something. Paul isn't reminding the world of this truth. He's not saying, hey, the scriptures are the foundation for life and living. He's not saying that to the world. He's saying that to the church. He's telling people this information that should know this information. And the reason he does this, the reason he reminds them, and I, and I believe the reason he's reminding us is because it is a real tempting thing in this fallen, broken world where we live to shift your life onto other foundations. Friends, we are all tempted to hear the gospel, to hear the good news, to read the scriptures, and then to go out and build our lives on the American dream, on prosperity. We're all tempted in this world, even after hearing the gospel and reading the scriptures, to make our existence primarily about avoiding pain and making sure that we don't face difficulty. Or we're tempted to build our lives on seeking momentary pleasure and happiness, worldly happiness. One of my favorite verses is found in the New Testament in two places, in Mark chapter four and in Matthew chapter 13. It's where Jesus says this. He says, but the worries of this life, the things that that you're concerned about, the things that you are worried about, the things that you fear and the deceitfulness of wealth, the things that promise you, if you only get more of them, if you only get them or attain them, they'll give you meaning and purpose and satisfaction deep in your life and soul. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. They offer you an an alternative foundation. They say this foundation will work better than God's foundation. Friends, let me ask you this question. Is your life built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Is that where it sits? Is your, is your thinking, is your believing, is your, is your worldly perspective rooted in Scripture? 
Friends, that only happens when we, when we soak in scripture. When, when we build our lives really on scripture, we don't just go to church and hear scripture and, and sort of, sort of create a, a separate compartment for scripture in our lives and then go and live for ourselves. No, we build our actual lives, our existence, our daily routines and rhythms and thinking and action on scripture. Friends, here's the question. Are you drilling giant concrete columns from your heart and mind and thinking all the way down into the firm foundation of the Bible? That's an image that Paul wants for this church in Corinth and for you and me. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. The teaching, the scriptural teaching about who Jesus is and God's will and ways in this world, that is the foundation we build on. That's the first section. Section two, verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Friends, if, if Paul's message is first about building on the right foundation, his next point is about the materials we build with. Now we're on the foundation. Now we're on the foundation of scripture and of Jesus Christ. What are we gonna build with? He gives us some options, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. And if you look closely, you'll notice the descending value of this list. Like it starts with gold. Gold is worth a lot. It's extremely valuable. It goes all the way down, 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 down till you get to straw. Not worth very much. Not a very reliable material. Not a very costly material. A very little value. And, and Paul is making a very specific point here. He's saying as, as a follower of Jesus, as a person who has received the free offer of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, as a person who's now on the foundation of the gospel, you are now part of God's people. You are now automatically part of the church and you should be contributing to the mission of the church and the building of the church and the advancement of God's kingdom in this world in one way or another. You should be part of the building process. You're a builder. You're a Christian. You're on the foundation of grace. You're a builder. And friends, some of us build a lot and some of us build a little. Paul's saying, you're a builder. How, how are you building? How's your building going? You know, one of the, one, one of the things that's a, a good thing to do in this moment, especially is to define really clearly what Paul means by the church. This whole passage is about the church. And yet there's a lot of confusion, I think, in our world, even amongst Christians about what is the church? Who is the church? Because some of you are familiar with this little acronym. It's an acronym that's, that's popular. It's quite popular for a while. I think it's still out there. You can find it on social media. People will actually label themselves with this acronym. SBNR. I'm SBNR. I'm spiritual, but not religious. SBNR. And, and people use this phrase in our world to mean all sorts of different things. But often, SBNR means I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God, I believe in a higher power. I might even call myself a follower of Jesus, but I don't want to be in the church. I, I don't want to be associated with other Christians. I don't like organized religion. How many times have you talked to someone? They've said, I'm spiritual, but I don't like organized religion. Can I just be honest with you today? It's part of my job to be honest and truthful. I'm going to be honest. 
According to the Bible, SBNR is not a thing. It's not a thing. It's not real. Jesus didn't come to create a bunch of Lone Ranger Christ followers. He came to create a community. He came to save people, to redeem people, to rescue people, and then to group them together in a community where they would learn to follow him together. And he calls that community the church. The church. You see, in the Bible, there is no such thing as a self-stylized, do what I want, think what I want, believe what I want, faith. There's only Jesus followers who do life together as the church as the church. And I'm choosing my words there carefully because most of you know this, but again, I'll be real clear. The church is not a campus. The church is not a building. The church is not even a gathering. The church is not a staff. The church is not an elder team. The church is not a pastor. The church is a community of people saved by grace through faith and following Jesus under the authority of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit in this world together. That's what Jesus came to create. The church, not individual Christ followers. You don't like organized religion. You know what? I don't always like organized religion. I don't. I don't always like organized religion. But here's the truth. God is organized. God created some structure. God created some roles and responsibilities and some accountability for his people to follow him together in this world. So again, Paul's talking about the church, not a building, but a community. He says there's no such thing as spiritual, but not religious. He says, if you're a Christ follower, you are the church. You belong in the church because you are part of the church. And he's saying, if you're a Christian, you're contributing to the building of the church on some level. The question is, on what level? A lot? You're contributing a lot or a little? A bunch or none? Are you building God's church or not? Where are you at on that spectrum? Um, Is your contribution to the mission of God's people gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw? Like what, what... group are you in? This reminds me of like reading groups in elementary school. Did you have these, the reading groups in elementary school? I did. And I wasn't a great reader in elementary school. I actually didn't really learn to read very well until seminary when they just force you to read a ton. But back in elementary school, I was not a good reader. And they'd, you know, they'd section you off into groups to be like, hey, the eagles are over here on the red carpet. And then over here, we have the hawks. The hawks are going to be in this on the blue carpet. And then the falcons are over here on the green carpet. And then over here on the brown carpet, we've got the pigeons. And you think, you know, I wonder which group is the lowest, right? I mean, and we all knew. And I was in the pigeons. And so it was hurtful. And, and, and you're already thinking to yourselves, I know you are. I'm, I'm anticipating your thoughts wait a minute, Pastor Dave, aren't we all equal at the foot of the cross? Aren't we all equal at the foot of the cross? I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with with giving people like spiritual status in the church, grouping people into higher and lower groups. Um, We're not doing that. It's not what Paul is saying. 
I'm also uncomfortable with grouping people into to separate groups of status in the church. Paul says we should not do that. This entire section of Corinthians is about not doing that, not thinking that you're better than other Christians and dividing around that. But what he is saying is this. He's saying the leadership of the church isn't going to divide you up. We shouldn't judge and divide each other up. But he says this, someday God will judge how you've lived your life as one of his kids. Someday, God is going to assess the level you gave yourself for his gospel and his mission as a part of his people to advance his kingdom in the world. Someday, he's going to say, it was gold, it was silver, it was costly stones, wood, hay, straw. So, Paul's not saying, let's start judging one another. Let's start assessing one another. No, he's saying only God can do that. Only God knows our abilities and gifts. Only God knows your potential, like how much potential you have to make a significant impact for the kingdom. He says, only God really knows your heart and your motivations, why you're doing what you're doing. Man can't see your heart. God can see your heart. Only God can judge and someday he will. So it's not for us to judge, but someday he's going to judge. And Paul is saying, church, as you build and as you invest and as you live out your calling in this world, know this, someday God is going to look at your life and he's going to say, was it worth it? What was it worth? Was it, was it worth kingdom stuff? Was it, did you invest in things that mattered for eternity? You'll notice Paul says, the day will bring it to light in, in your, text, you'll notice the word day is capitalized because this isn't just any day. This isn't just tomorrow or some random day. This is the day. Paul's talking about judgment day, the day when first and foremost, it will be determined if you trusted Christ to pay the penalty for your sins or if you decided that you wanted to pay the price for your own sins. And then after that determination, God is going to take all the followers of Jesus who are now saved, who have now been redeemed, who now get to spend eternity with him in heaven. And he's going to say, let's look at your lives and let's see how you lived. And God will judge those and he'll give out rewards. The Bible says he's going to hand out rewards for people who live for him and who lived for the gospel and who, who reflected God's grace into this world. Verse 13, verse 13, it says, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Did you know that, that your work as someone who is saved by Christ and now part of the body of Christ is going to be judged by God someday. And he's judging you to give you a reward for the wonderful things you did. So we have the foundation we build on. We have the materials we build with. And now we have the inspection of the building. This is God inspecting our lives as his followers in this world. If what has been, this is verse 14. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Remember the fire, that our, our lives, our work as the body of Christ is going to be tested with fire. And he says, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. This is the stuff that matters. This is the parts of our lives that have eternal significance. They are going to stand up to the flames in this moment. Verse 15, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Again, this is not about salvation. 
This is about our work and the rewards we'll get for eternal stuff that we've invested in. Paul is asking, friends, an extremely important question here. I hope you're already asking it of yourself because he's asking believers. He's asking the church, not the church building, not the church organization, but the church, the people of the church. Are you giving your lives to things that have eternal significance? Are you giving your lives to things that have eternal significance? Are you living your life in a way that matters and makes a difference for eternity? Because what the Bible and what this passage tells us is this, someday that's gonna get revealed. People may not be able to see it now. People can't really judge you and your life now, but someday God will judge us and it will be revealed. Friends, someday my, my entire life is gonna be laid out before Jesus. And he's gonna say, Dave, this part was straw. It had no value, it had no eternal impact. It was not done in a way that reflects a heart surrendered and submitted to the gospel. And then he's gonna say, in this part, Dave, this part was precious stone. There was truth in that sermon you gave. And yet, and yet the heart behind it, Dave, that I could see that maybe no one else could was that it was more for your glory than it was for God's glory. And so yes, God used it but it was corrupted with a selfish, self-centered desire for attention and praise. And then, and then hopefully, hopefully by God's grace, there are some moments, and I pray many moments, when God says, Dave, that sermon and that time with your daughter and that moment when you chose humility and confessed that sin and that leadership sacrifice you made that no one saw and that truth that you spoke, even though it was difficult, and that kindness you showed and that mercy you offered, those were gold. Those were gold, Dave. Those were eternal moments in your life. They were a reflection of the gospel, alive and active in your heart. They reminded people and and we could see that you were submitted and surrendered to the Holy Spirit at work in you. God, I pray those, there are a lot of those moments for me. I pray there's a lot of gold in my life at the end when I stand before Jesus and he, judged my and he judges my existence. Friends, again, I wanna be very clear here. This is not works righteousness. This is not about earning your salvation. Paul is talking here about how God will judge already saved Jesus followers in order to give rewards to those who lived lives worthy of the calling that we have received. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. There is coming, there is coming an inspection of the church, an inspection of our lives. Did we build on the foundation of scripture? Did we go for gold in the kingdom of God to be the church that God longs for us to be? If so, he'll celebrate us. He'll reward us. And now, finally, Paul tells us why this building matters so much. Not this building that I'm standing in, but this building that we are building together called the church. Why does it matter oh so much. Why is Paul so passionate about it? Why is God so passionate about it? Verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Let me tell you what Paul's saying here. Some of you know already. He's saying that 
as the church, we are not just some shack or some shed or some outhouse. He's saying the church, the community of believers charged with advancing God's mission together in this world is a temple, is a temple of almighty God himself. He's saying the church, the community of believers is the place where God dwells and lives in our midst. You know, one of the things we often talk about in the church is how you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a really famous verse that we're gonna get to in 1 Corinthians chapter six that talks about this, how the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you yourself, that you as an individual are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells and resides in you if you have trusted Jesus Christ for for life and salvation. However, most of the time, I think every other time in the scriptures when the Bible talks about where the Spirit resides, It doesn't talk about an individual you. It talks about a communal you, a plural you. It's you together. It's the community of believers called the church. That's where the Holy Spirit lives and resides with us. Friends, this is why God is so protective of his church. This is why he directs her and this is why he challenges her and this is why he fights for her and this is why he longs to be with her because this is where he dwells with his people let me get practical here let me get practical about what paul is saying in these verses god dwells with his people god dwells with the church in the church and so be real careful that you don't work against the church Don't set your energy and efforts up to battle the church. Is the church perfect? No. Is the the church in need of correction? Yes. Has the church messed up and does the church make mistakes? Absolutely. Without a doubt, no question. Just read the New Testament. We know that's true and it's certainly true today. But if you are a believer If you are someone who's been saved by Christ and you're called to be part of the church, don't tear the church down, build her up. One thing Pastor Paul Richter, who's a dear friend of mine and I were talking about just the other day when we were on a hike together, is how so often in our world right now, being critical, being critical of something or someone or, or some system or some organization, being critical is seen as, as a sign of maturity. And I think this happens a lot in the church these days. The more critical you can be, the more you can assess weaknesses and faults and things that are wrong, then the more mature you must be because wow, it must take some major wisdom to be critical and to see stuff that's not right. And so people love to do this. I think it's a fad in our world. They love to, especially Christians, they love to sort of point out all the stuff that's wrong in the church. And let's face it, there's lots to critique. If you're a Christian and you have been around the church for any amount of time, it is very easy to see the church's insufficiencies. It is not hard to notice her blemishes. It is not difficult to spot her shortcomings. But I believe this, the calling of scripture is for us to build the church and not tear her down. 
The calling for you and me as Christ followers is to be in the mode of construction, in the mode, mode of building. Now, yes, sometimes construction involves demolition. Sometimes we have to tear down in order to build back up, but we must be careful that when we do tear down, we are in the mode of then building back up. Paul says, build. He says, build with care. Build with intentionality. He says, go for gold. He says, give all that you are to the building of God's church and the advancing of his mission in this world through his people. Give that your very, very best so that in the end, when the fire comes, there's a lot of gold sitting there in the middle of your life. Friends, one of my favorite passages is Matthew chapter 16. This is the passage where Jesus takes his disciples up to this place that's it's a pretty dark place. It's a spiritually depraved place. There's a lot of evil and wickedness happening. And in this place, he asks his disciples this question, who do you say that I am? And then there's a little bit of banter. There's a couple answers offered. And then finally, Peter shouts out the right answer. He says, and you'll remember this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is the first place in all of scripture. This is the first place where Jesus is explicitly declared to be the Messiah. Jesus, Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then what does Jesus say in response? Jesus' words in response, the first declaration of him being the Christ, of him being the Messiah, and his response is this. I love these words. Jesus says, you're right, Peter, and I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, Jesus says, Paul says, don't work against the church, be the church and build the church because this world is a broken place. Look around. There's so much hurt and pain and isolation and loneliness and emptiness. People are lost. They are searching and seeking for meaning and purpose and satisfaction in this world and they cannot find it. And the enemy wants to keep them in that place. The enemy wants to keep them locked up behind his gates. He longs to keep them in that reality. But God's people, friends standing on the foundation of God's word, following him together by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the church. We have the power to knock those gates down. Those gates are coming down. So let me say this. You watch out hell. You watch out hell. You consider yourself to be on notice. Evil in this world, we are coming for, for you because we are God's church and your days are numbered and your gates are going down. That's Paul's message in 1 Corinthians. Be the church. Remember who you are. Remember what our mission is. That Christ on his foundation would use us as we build together to accomplish his will and ways in this world in a way that no one else can. That's our calling and we hold to it, we cling to it, and we fight for it. And church, before I let you go today, I wanna to take us back to the beginning of this message, the beginning of this passage where Paul talks about the foundation. 
Because Jesus sat with his disciples the night before he went to the cross, knowing they were going to need reassurance at times, knowing they were going to need a reminder of the solidity and the, and, and the, the security of the foundation he offered. And so he sat with them at a table and he said, let's share this meal. And then Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember church that the foundation that you stand on is that Christ gave his life for your sins. The body of Christ, take and eat. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, this meal is about proclaiming and declaring that we stand on the firm foundation of Jesus, that our sins have been paid for by his life given and his blood shed. And the fact that he defeated death and rose from the grave means that we have victory even over sin and death in this world and nothing to fear. That's our declaration in this meal. Let's take the cup and share it together now. Pray with me, if you would. Father, my prayer today is for your church, your people, that we would never lose sight of our foundation, that you would bring us back to the solid, reliable, unwavering, and unmovable truths that we find in your scriptures, and that you would help us, Lord, that your spirit would empower us to give all that we have and all that we are in every moment gathered and scattered in this world when we're gathered and when we're scattered, scattered, Lord, that we would be living by the power of your spirit to advance your kingdom and represent you well in this world and all that we say and think and do. Help us, Lord, to be your people. Help us to build well. Remind us, Lord, that there's a reward coming for those who serve you in this world. And then also, God, remind us that you dwell with us, that you dwell with your people, your imperfect people gathered together as your church, saved by grace. Remind us that you are with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that we are your temple and your dwelling place. God, we need to be reminded of these things. We invite you, Holy Spirit, remind us of them this week as we go forth into the world to be your people and advance your mission. That's our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.